You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Look with me at the fifth verse for just a few moments and look with me at the last phrase of the fifth verse. And it says there, my cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. And that is the text for the message this evening. I'm going to be speaking on the overflowing life as we continue our series of messages on the 23rd Psalm. Now I'm going to ask our ushers to find their places, if they will, please. And as we're praying this evening, uh, Laverne Bergen has asked me to pray for, or to ask you to join with her in praying for her brother, Ernest Baker of Tulsa. He has an inoperable uh, cancerous tumor. He's too frail to undergo surgery. She said, we really want you to pray for him. Pray that God will just put his hand upon his life. And we add his name to the names of many others, and you have them there on your prayer request sheet for this evening. And you'll want to be keeping that, praying for those people. And I know you'll be praying for Tony Merrill. Well, Tony is still in the hospital. They're still very concerned. It's a little mystified as to what the difficulties are. Many of you have been praying for them. And uh, you'll want to continue to lift him up along with others in our church family and friends of our church family. Let's pray now together. Visitors, if you will, please put your visitors' cards in the offering baskets. And the rest of us will be joining you in giving in these next few moments. Father, our prayer is that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this evening. Our prayer is that in these next few moments that somehow you would so still and quiet in our hearts and our lives that uh, we could not help but be overwhelmed with your presence. Our prayer is that we would gain from your word those truths which would radically alter the pattern of our life. Dear Lord, we want to be such different people when we leave this evening than we are even right now. And we know that that can only be accomplished when you, by your grace, choose to minister the truth of your word to us. Now, Father in heaven, touch our lives. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let me ask you, if you will, please to open your Bible to the 23rd Psalm. And I have been deep in prayer about the message this evening. And I want you to take just a moment before I preach this message to pray for me and for yourself and for the people seated to either side of you. Because I believe there are some truths contained in the Word of God and in the message this evening which can radically alter the pattern of our lives. Now, the only way this is going to happen is if you and I are sensitive to what God is speaking to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I know when a pastor says, I want you to listen to me, you're saying, well, you know, what I want to listen to is the Word of God. And dear friend, what I want to share with you this evening is just what the Word of God says. But I believe that God has put a message on my heart which He will use to change your life. And I mean the life of every person here. And so, if you will, just take a moment with head bowed and join with me once again in prayer. 
Father in heaven, as I stand before you this evening, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit will so consume my thoughts, think your thoughts in me, speak your words through me, so that the life of each one of us is impacted by you, your word, and your principles this evening. Father, the only desire I have is that Christ would be lifted up and that we would learn this evening how to live the overflowing life. And Father, I'm trusting you to do that in these next few moments. And I pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want to speak to you this evening on this subject, the overflowing life. Have you ever seen someone whose life meets that qualification? Has your life ever been touched by someone about whom you would say, now that person seems to always be giving and always be blessing my life? Have you ever met anybody like that? Have you ever seen someone who, even when they're down, seem to be more up than most people are when they're up? And I'm speaking this evening in give, about giving, not in terms of just financial giving. I'm speaking in terms of giving of your life. Touching the hearts and lives of other people in such a fashion that they are positively influenced. Have you ever met anyone like that? It seems that no matter how tough things are, they are there, they are rock solid, and out of their life there flows a beauty and a radiance and a ministry which touches your life and changes your life. Uh, these may not be people who are famous, they may have no notoriety, but very quietly they go about their living in such a fashion that the people around them are deeply touched. I was impressed by something Charlita Garner shared not long ago in one of our evangelism explosion meetings. She looked out at people who were gathered here from over 17 different states and she said, you know, I want to be like that rock that's dropped into the middle of a pond. She said, I want to leave ripples that last long after I've gone under. And I thought that was a good way of describing the overflowing life. It is a life that leaves ripples, not just this moment, but long after we've gone under, long after we've ceased to live physically, a life that continues to touch other people. Now, I'm sure you've met someone like that. I'm sure your life has been impacted by someone like that. Someone who, who's had time for you, someone who's listened to you, someone who's given wise counsel to you, someone when you were down were able to give you a word that would lift you up, someone who always seemed to have that calm assurance and even when it seemed like all the world around them was chaotic, they just walked calmly amidst all the confusion of this world. And you just knew about them that somehow they had a special relationship with the Lord Jesus that seemed to go much deeper or much farther than the relationship which you have. And maybe you have, as I have, looked at people like that and said, you know, I want that. I'd love to live that kind of life. It seems that they have enough for themselves, but there's always enough left over to give to other people. They seem to be ministering out of the overflow of their life. Now, I believe that the Bible teaches that every Christian is to live that kind of life, the overflowing life. 
a life that is so filled up with the Lord Jesus that when you get around those individuals, why, Jesus just spills out upon them and you are touched, you are ministered to by the overflow of that life. Now, because I believe that, I want to direct your attention to the 23rd Psalm once again as we continue our study through the 23rd Psalm. And I want you to look with me at this statement of the psalmist in verse 5, the very last phrase where he says, My cup runneth over. Now, if you look in all the Bible commentaries, you will discover that they will tell you that this word cup actually is a word not only, that refers not only to a vessel which holds liquid refreshment, but that refers to someone's lot in life, someone's condition in life. We speak, for instance, about people who are drinking deeply of the cup of bitterness or the cup of sadness. We speak about people who are enjoying drinking the cup of gladness. And what that means is that their lot in life at that moment is one of bitterness or sadness or one of gladness or one of joy. And so these Bible commentators will often tell you that that word cup refers to someone's lot in life, and, and well, that word in the Hebrew does. But I got a much more vivid understanding of this word cup some years ago as I was walking with a Christian Arab on the hillside of Megiddo. Now, Megiddo happened to be one of Solomon's great chariot cities, and archaeologists have unearthed so much that is uh, there that tells us about the culture during those days, and they've gone even deeper than that uh, chariot city. They've gone right on down to the Canaanite altar which was there. And it's so interesting, and on many occasions I've stood on that hillside and, and looked across the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of Armageddon, Megiddo, where all the troops will be assembled, the Bible tells us, for that great war in the last days. And I reflected so often as I've stood there upon how significant that part of the world is. Well, on this particular day, we were walking together up into the entrance to this chariot city of Megiddo, and I looked over to my right and I noticed there was a square stone and hewn out of the middle of that square stone was just a hollowed out spot, sort of like a, a, a dish or perhaps the cup of one's hand. And I spoke to him about it and I said, uh, what is that? And, and just in a passing way, he said, well, that's just a cup. And we kept on walking. I said, no, no, wait a minute. What do you mean that's a cup? And he said, well, it's very interesting. He said, of course, up here on this valley, up on this uh, little hill, he said, uh, there's no running water. In fact, uh, you have to go down and out of the edge of the hill to find running water, which they tunneled down and did. One of the longest tunnels in Jerusalem to find, or in, in uh, the area of, of, uh, uh, of Israel where they found water. And so he said they would have to go down and get the water. He said, but they couldn't take the animals down there. And so they would draw the water. They would bring it up to the top in uh, buckets, in these carrying vessels, in these jars. And he said, then they would pour them into these hollowed out spots. He said, now this particular one right here was probably for one of the many horses which they had here in this chariot city. He said, but you know, shepherds would use those often for sheep. He said, you know the statement, my cup runneth over. And he just walked on. And after he walked by me, I thought for a second, wait a minute. I believe that's going to help me to understand the 23rd Psalm. For in the 23rd Psalm, we read these words, my cup runs over. And the interesting thing about a sheep cup, and there is a word which refers to a 
sheep cup. The interesting thing about it is that it is not positioned where there is running water, but rather it requires diligent work on the part of a shepherd to keep it filled. And it would require much work, as a matter of fact, to keep it filled to overflowing. Now, since this psalm deals with the shepherd and with the sheep, and since he's talking here about having that table prepared in the presence of his enemies and having his head anointed with oil, it stands to reason that when David said, my cup runs over, he was speaking, of course, about his lot in life, but the picture was that picture of a sheep cup which would stay filled by virtue of the diligent efforts on the part of the shepherd. So he said, I drink from an overflowing cup. My lot in life, my conditions in life are such that they can be described by this term, my cup runs over. Now, if you want to live the overflowing life, I want you to consider three thoughts with me this evening. I want you to meditate on them for a few moments as I share each one of them and allow the truth of each of these thoughts to sink deeply into your heart. Because I believe when you leave this evening, you can have made some adjustments in your walk with the Lord that will enable you to say, well, just like David, my cup runneth over. I live an overflowing life. Now here's the first thought. You see, there are in your life some desires of your heart which can be realized. Let me say it again. There are some desires of your heart which can be realized. If I were to take a census this evening and ask different individuals in this auditorium to stand and make a statement regarding the desires of your heart, I believe those desires would fall in one of three categories. For instance, I believe there would be some of you who would stand and say, my greatest desire is just to have what I would call sufficiency in life, just to have enough. I receive letters every day from people who are asking me to pray about specific issues. In fact, I write, I send out 10 letters every day asking different people in our church to tell me how I can pray for them. I suppose if you're a member of our church very long, you've received a letter from me like that. I'm going to be praying for you on a specific day. How can I pray for you by name? What are the issues that are on your heart? And so every day I receive letters in response to that prayer request. And so often these letters which I receive say something like this, it is so hard. I am finding it so difficult right now. Brother Tom, as you know, it's tight these days and we scarcely have enough money to go around. Uh, I, I don't know how we're going to pay for our children's schooling or we scarcely have enough money even to pay our bills. I don't know how we're going to make it. And so I believe there would be many people this evening who would say, look, Brother Tom, forget the luxuries. I just want sufficient. My heart's desire is that I have sufficient to meet the needs of my life. Now, what we're saying here is that the desires of your heart can be realized. What's one of those desires? The desire for sufficiency. Here's a second category. I believe there are a lot of people here this evening who say, well, look, I have enough, but I just don't think I'm anybody to anybody. 
My greatest desire is significance. Minnie McGee, one of the wonderful members of our church, has a son, Robert McGee, who has written a book which many people in this auditorium this evening have read. The title of the book, The Search for Significance. And of course, the basic underlying thesis of that book is that every one of us needs to know that we count. That is, that we are important to someone. And of course, he tells how we can find significance because of who we are in the Lord Jesus. But I believe there are some of you here this evening who would say, I just don't think I count to anyone. I don't think anyone really considers me to be significant to them. As a matter of fact, there are people every day who say, why, if I were just simply to leave this earth, if I were to die suddenly, calamitously, why, nobody would care. It wouldn't leave a ripple. It wouldn't make any difference to anybody because I am not significant. I don't count to anyone. Now, you see, in this 23rd Psalm, you are promised sufficiency. My cup runs over. But also, you see, you are promised significance. My cup. It is the cup designated for me by my shepherd. It is a cup for me which my shepherd is diligently attending so that it's always filled. And my cup runs over. In other words, he's saying, I'm not second in line. When I get to that cup to drink, while there hasn't been someone who's come and taken it all before me, when I arrive, it is there. It is filled to overflowing. I'm not just one of the scrub sheep that the shepherd looks at and says, well, now that I've fed everybody else, now that I've watered everybody else, uh, you're, you don't mean very much to me. You're just a scrub, but I'll, uh, I'll give you what's left over. There's some of you here this evening who think you're just a scrub, that, that in fact, if God has anything for you, it's just because somebody who's better than you doesn't want to mess with it right now, and God will stick you in. You're just a scrub. But my friend, the Bible says not only does he promise you sufficiency, he promises you significance. Notice something else. I believe there are those of you here this evening who would say, I have sufficient and I am significant. I believe that I count to God. I, I believe that I am somebody to him. Jesus died for me. But there are those of you here this evening who would say, my biggest desire would be to be in a position to share with others. And some of you who would say, well, Brother Tom, you know, it used to be, I, I could give, but I, I can't give like I'd like to give anymore. By the time it used to be, I had more time to, to spend ministering to people, but I don't have that time anymore like I used to have to minister to people. And I just love to be known as a person who shared generously and liberally of my time and of my resources. I just like to take time. While Brother Tom, you asked for people to give to support those who are going to Korea, I would just love, why, if I could, I'd just like to write a check and pay for all those people to go over there and lead folks to Jesus. I I would love to be a sharing person. Now, once again, here is a desire of your heart which can be realized. He says, first of all, I'm going to give you sufficiency. I'm going to give you sufficiency. I have a designated cup from which you are to drink. Secondly, he says, I will give you significance. It will be your cup from which you can drink. You're so significant that when you get there, it will be filled. It'll not be emptied out by others. It will be filled. And finally, he says, I'm going to let you be a sharing person because the cup from which uh, you are to drink will be an overflowing cup. 
And there'll be enough for you, but there'll also be enough for the others who come around you. You'll have enough and more than enough to share with others. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying that when it comes to the overflowing life, the life that has sufficient, the life that is significant, the life that shares, the desires of your heart can be realized. Now, I just wondered this evening, how many of you would like a life like that? Have you say, man, I, I'd love to have a life that had all sufficiency in all things. I'd love to have a life that really counted, was significant. And I would love to be the kind of person that was just known as a sharing person, a person whose life just overflowed to others. And I had to give, whether resources of money or resources of time or resources of encouragement because of the gifts that God has given me. Well, dear friend, the desires of your heart can be realized. But notice secondly this evening that there are dangers in your heart which must be resisted. Just as there are desires in your heart which can be realized, there are dangers in your heart which must be resisted. Now with your Bible open once again to this 23rd Psalm, let's just think together for a few moments about the dangers which must be resisted. Have you noticed here that David says, this is not just a cup, it is my cup. It is the designated place from which I am to drink. My lot in life, not someone else's lot in life, not someone else's condition of life, but this is my cup. Now, with this in mind, let's just think about the dangers which you must resist. First of all, there's what I would call the danger of distrust. The danger of distrust. By that I mean quite simply that there are many people who hear that Jesus is the way and that he will provide for them all that they need, but down deep in their heart they still wonder if there is not another and a better way for their life which they will call their will as opposed to God's will. The danger of distrust. It's no, it's, there's no question about it. Shepherds constantly have problems when they receive sheep that are not their sheep. Sometimes they'll, get, they'll buy sheep and there'll be a, a sheep that will just make up its mind, I'm not going to be that shepherd's sheep. I'm going to get my enjoyment some other way. I'm going to, he's going to leave them there. I believe I can find better over here. They're going to drink there. I believe I would rather drink here. They're going to go to that valley. I'd rather be on this mountain. They're going up that mountain. I'd rather stay here in the valley. And there comes a time when that shepherd just acknowledges that sheep does not have a heart after me. That sheep does not trust me. And I wonder this evening if there are those of you who would say, well, you know, I really would like to have all sufficiency in all things and to be significant. I'd really like to be the kind of person that is a genuinely sharing person. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not sure that trusting in Jesus is the answer. I talked to a pastor two days ago who said that not long ago, he was in a meeting in which there were several men and they were talking about their biggest needs. Their, they, he said they were just opening up their hearts. And he said one of the men in the group said, you know, I don't believe anybody cares anything about me. Now I said to this pastor, I said, why, you need to go and express that to that person that uh, you care and that others care. He said, no. He said, what that man needs is Jesus. 
Because the truth of the matter is, we have lavished attention. We have lavished love and concern on that man. But that man to this very day has never trusted in Jesus as his Savior. And he says, as a, as a simple matter of fact, he doesn't have in his heart faith in the Lord. Now, it could be that this evening, here you are in church, you believe all the facts, you want all that God has, but the truth of the matter is you still have your own way of doing it. You still have your own plan for your life, and you have never, quite simply, trusted in Jesus alone as your Savior. So there is the danger of distrust. You can't live the overflowing life and never know Jesus as your Savior. It's an impossibility. The danger of distrust. Secondly, there is the danger of dissatisfaction. The danger of dissatisfaction. You may say, well, I don't like my cup. I don't like my lot in life. I don't like the plan God has for me. I want someone else's cup. I want someone else's lot in life. I want to live like someone else is living. I don't like my assignment. That is the danger of dissatisfaction. And you have seen it happen. I mean, you see it happen among all kinds of animals. It is exaggerated when it happens among sheep. But you have seen animals who will leave the very trough which has everything in it or feeding bowl which has everything in it they need to go over and make sure that they get their nose in the bowl that some other animal is either eating or drinking from. You know that. You've seen that. Why in the world does a cow that has acres and acres of green grass from which to eat, why does that cow see that barbed wire fence and say, I want what's outside that fence. I am not satisfied with what is inside this fence. Now that's in the heart of a lot of people. They're just quite simply dissatisfied. They say, Lord, I like what you're, the way you're treating someone else. Lord, I like what he's doing or what she's doing, and I would rather be that. Now, friend, if you don't drink out of your designated cup, you will never live the overflowing life. If you are dissatisfied with the plan God has for your life, you cannot live the overflowing life. You can't live somebody else's life and have it as an overflowing life because God doesn't intend that for you. He has a plan for your life. So there's the danger of distrust. There's the danger of dissatisfaction. And finally, there is the danger of distraction. The danger of distraction. Now, what do I mean by distraction? Well, sheep can be very easily distracted. As a matter of fact, a sheep drinking out of a sheep cup right there near the hand of a shepherd can very quickly become distracted by other noises, by other sheep, by other predators. And I wonder how many of you this evening would say, you know, Tom, there was a time in my life when I knew that I was drinking deeply from the designated cup. I knew that I was in the center of God's will. I knew I was doing precisely what God had assigned for me to do. But I got distracted. Somebody came along with another message. Somebody came along with another job. Somebody came along with another opportunity. And they made it so appealing. 
and it sounded so right that I put aside what I knew was giving me the greatest enjoyment in my Christian life and what I knew was blessing me and I opted for another position or another ministry or another focus of attention and from that day on my life has been fretful and has been literally drying up. It has been anything other than an overflowing life. Now I know I'm speaking to some of you this evening who say that is my testimony. For to, if I were to look at my life from beginning to end, I would say there was a higher mountaintop upon which I dwelled one time than I am dwelling right now. A higher plane. There was a time when I was drinking more fully of the joy and the power of the Lord. There was a time when I saw greater evidence of God in my life. There was a time when my life was filled with greater expectation than it is right now. There was a time when I enjoyed doing the things of God more than I do now. Sometimes that distraction comes as a promotion. Somebody comes along to you and says, why you're doing such a good job at what you're doing, we think you ought to do more. And so you said, well, bless God, I will do more. I want to answer the call of service. And so you took on a bigger job. Maybe it had greater notoriety. Maybe it even had a churchy title to it. And it was the worst thing which has ever happened to you. Because the moment you got that job, the moment you got that title, the moment you begin that ministry, your life began to dry up. You quit drinking out of the designated cup. You got distracted. My cup runneth over. Now friend, you're not going to be able to go to someone else's cup and start drinking and say that cup runs over as well. It is there for that person, but not for you, just as yours is there for you, but not for anyone else. And so there's the danger of distrust, the danger of dissatisfaction, and the danger of distraction. Now finally this evening, I want to share with you what you need to do in order to live the overflowing life. What do you need to do in order to live the overflowing life? And let me couch it in this phrase. We've said, first of all, that there are desires of your heart which can be realized. Secondly, we've said there are dangers in your heart which must be resisted. And so finally this evening, I want to share with you that there are distinctives of your heart which must be received. There are distinctives of your heart. In other words, there are certain things which must characterize your heart. Distinctives which must be received if you are to live the overflowing life. And really, dear friends, there are just two words that I want to share with you this evening. These two distinctives alone will enable you to live the overflowing life. What's the first word? The first word is salvation. Salvation. You see, many of you will never live the overflowing life no matter how much you remember about how active you were in the past, until you finally give up trying to save yourself by your works. Trying to impress God with your credentials. Trying to get God to sympathize with your cause. And simply trust in Jesus alone as your Savior. And I'm looking at some folks this evening You say, Brother Tom, this is, this is the crowd that, if there's any crowd, ought to know Jesus as Savior. And yet it seems that every time we gather together at this particular time of the week, 
There are those whose hearts are touched. They say, you know, for many years I have thought that because I was religious, I was dedicated, I was an active servant, man, I was really involved. I thought that I was a Christian, but for such a long time, it seems as if there's just been a hand on my throat just squeezing and my life is drying up and my ministry has ceased to be joyful. And I don't know what the problem is, dear friend. The problem may very well be that you've never come to a point where you've trusted in Jesus alone. Very religious you are but never having trusted in Jesus alone as your Savior. And friend, let me tell you something. There's no way you're going to live the overflowing life without coming to know Christ. Could I share with you something that has occurred to me over the years? For over the years, my avocation has been reading the biographies of great Christian men and women. By the dozens, perhaps, I guess I should say by the hundreds. The stories, the life stories of great Christian men and women. And I've discovered that many of them speak of what they would call a deeper experience with God. And I begin to examine the deeper experiences with God that many of them have. And you know what I discovered? I discovered that very often what those individual, own individuals would call their deeper experience was in fact not a deeper experience, but was indeed their first conversion and only conversion. They're just genuinely born again. Now, why do I say that? Well, many of these people were born into churches that were very formalized, very ritualistic. If you ask them, are you a Christian? They'd say, sure, I was born a Christian, baptized the baby, grew up in the church. Of course, I'm a Christian. It would never have occurred to them to think of themselves as anything other than Christian. While they were Christian as opposed to being some other kind of godless religion, they supposed. As a matter of fact, if you look back in the annals, the history of our own nation in its early years, you'll find that they even thought it was better in many of those towns to have a non-Christian minister than to have no, no minister at all in those churches. And it was that outrage against Whitfield preached in those early days of our nation's history. And so these people grew up saying, well, I'm a Christian. I mean, there's no question about it. I'm a Christian. If they went to any of their ministers or any of their family members, they'd say, you're a Christian. You're a Christian. You're baptized in the church. Man, you're a Christian. But then they realized in a deep conviction of God's Holy Spirit, something was wrong. And there came that time when they said, I don't know what to do, but I am just trusting Jesus alone and read their descriptions. They'll talk about the fact, I felt so clean. That's the way somebody feels when they're saved. I felt I was filled with Jesus. That's the way somebody feels when they're saved, dear friend. And it could be this evening that you'd have to say, you know, it never occurred to me. I've just always thought I was a Christian. I've always gone to church, done everything I was told. But my friend, you'll never live the overflowing life until you're saved, until you've trusted in Jesus. Here's the second word which will help you to experience the overflowing life. It is the word surrender. The first thing you need to do, you see, is to make sure that you're one of the shepherd's sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. That's what the, the psalmist said. You need to make sure you're saved. The second thing is to surrender. Absolute surrender. You say, well, I did that when I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Yes. In fact, there's no way to actually become a Christian without totally surrendering, totally casting yourself upon Jesus alone. But dear friend, there is a surrender which you day by day should update with the Lord. The Apostle Paul says there's a wrestling match going on inside us. There's that old spirit of the flesh 
wrestling against the Spirit of the Lord which is within us. And as we wrestle, he says, I just, I realize there's a battle going on there and I die daily. That's what the Apostle Paul said. I die daily. Every day I come to that point where I say, dear God, I want to identify with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. I am totally surrendering myself to the Lord and to his work and to the fullness of the Spirit within me. Well, listen carefully. Some years ago in England, there was a family by the name of Taylor. The Taylor family had in it several children. These children were beautiful children. They, they loved the Lord. They were a very religious family. And one of the young men, in fact, the oldest brother in the family, was a young boy who said, when I grow up, my heart's desire is to serve in the Parliament of England. And to become a very wealthy man, and to become the kind of man that can, can bless other people. I mean, can just leave money to other people and, and, uh, and bless them. Now, in case you're wondering what's going on, we've changed microphones. We're having some pretty severe problems this evening, so just listen carefully. So this oldest son in the Taylor family said, what I want to do is to become that kind of person. If you'll use this one, Glenn, this will be fine. All right, thank you. He said, I, I want to be, be the kind of man who will be a great benefactor to other people and a servant, a public servant. And so he gave himself to being a great public servant. More than anything else in all the world, he desired to be known as a generous serving man. He had a younger brother who was quite different from him. He didn't desire to be famous, but he did desire to be a servant. The parents, in fact, instilled that in their children. And he, uh, at an early age, came to know the Lord Jesus and then later on just decided that he would be willing to go to a very obscure corner of this world and serve out his time in this world as a missionary. Well, that he did. And while he was serving as a missionary, he learned how to live the overflowing life. In fact, he wrote about it. He called it the exchange life. And he said, I have discovered that either Jesus is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Now, that man's name was Hudson Taylor. And as a matter of fact, down through the years, hundreds, thousands, millions of people have been touched by that man whom the Lord used to found the great China Inland Mission, which is now the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. His brother, by the way, did grow up and become wealthy and become a member of parliament. But so little is known about what he did that in the encyclopedia, beside his name, it simply says, Hudson Taylor's brother. Now, what is the secret? The secret is living the overflowing life. How do you live the overflowing life? You must be one of the shepherd's sheep. And from that moment on, it is a simple matter of total surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Either he is Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Let me ask you to bow your head. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. In just a few moments, we're going to be standing together
this is invitation time. Dear friend, I cannot help but think that with all the distractions we have had this evening, that there's something about this very message which Satan has not wanted you to hear, to be a part of this evening. And I believe there are many people who should come to this altar and will want to kneel here at this prayer rail and say, Dear Lord, I've longed for the overflowing life. I've wanted to have sufficiency. I've wanted to have significance in, in terms of knowing that you cared for me. And I've wanted to be a sharing person. But dear Lord, for some reason, no matter how hard I've tried, it's been just the opposite. I don't believe I count for much. I, I'm hardly making it. And what I have is so little, I, I scarcely have anything to give to others the way I think of it. What is the problem? Is it possible that there has been distrust in your heart and you're not one of the shepherd's sheep? Is it possible that there's been dissatisfaction? You've not willing to drink, been willing to drink out of the cup that God has put before you? You've wanted the cup someone else has been given? Is it possible that there has been distraction? Someone has come along, others have come along, you have had your fancy attracted by something else and you've followed it and you've lost the joy in serving Jesus that you had? My friend, the answer this evening, first of all, if you've never made that commitment to Jesus, is to trust him as your Savior and as the Lord of your life. And in a few moments when we stand and our praise singers begin singing, I want to urge you to come to this altar, find one of these counselors and say to them quite simply, I want to trust in Jesus as my Savior this evening. I want to trust in Jesus as my Savior this evening. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And tonight you can come to Christ, come to God rather, through Jesus Christ as your Savior. And already people are coming to this altar. Why don't you join them? There are others of you who perhaps would need to say, if Jesus is my Lord, I need to do what he says. I need to openly confess him through the symbol of baptism. Others to whom the Lord would say tonight is the night you ought to become a part of this church family. Still others who ought to come to this altar and kneel and say, dear Lord, I see it now why I've not been living the overflowing life. And tonight I choose to totally surrender. I want to drink from the cup you would give me. Father in heaven, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit will move in power at this very invitation time. Lord, stir up our hearts. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand together. As we're standing, you just make your way to the aisle, make your way forward, find one of these counselors and say simply, tonight is the night I'm saying yes to the Lord.